when you tell your story in a form such as a solo show, you in a way become at the risk of sounding dramatic, immortalized because you told your story. And you know what my goal with this Zenia going into it? If I could help at least one woman, at least one woman know her worth, then I've done my job. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to help others come out of their shell and know that you can recreate yourself at any stage of your life. Zenya here. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're chatting with Ruth Brand about acting, comedy, and the creation of her first solo show. But before we dive into today's episode, just a quick reminder to please subscribe to the show. Whether you are listening on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, press that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on episodes. And head on over to patreon.com slash Xenia to join the fam and help keep this show going every single week and get access to exclusive content, behind the scenes content, and early access for my music and writing. Again, that's patreon.com slash X-E-N-J-A. Your support means the absolute world to me. Ruth has been interested in the performing arts for her entire life, but only became immersed in recent years. A combination of looking inward, getting older, and a major life change brought Ruth back to her creative DNA. Ruth has three young adult kids who are all artists in their own right. Her favorite genre is comedy, and she has been doing stand-up regularly. Ruth just wrote and performed in her first solo show, Cooking My Way to Comedy. Hi, Ruth. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my God. The pleasure is mine. Thank you for thinking of me. This is great. Yes. I like to start by just sharing how uh, my guests and I have met. And we met in the Artist's Way over the summer. It was my first time doing the Artist's Way. Had you done it before? You know, I did it before in conjunction with um, a show I was in called Bare Naked Angels um, at the acting studio um, that I was attending before, you know, the world went into havoc. Um, and uh, Stacey Raposa, who, whose brainchild this was, uh, she wanted all of us to read The Artist's Way and, you know, as each week progressed, just do the exercises. And that her idea, of course, was to open us up to writing our show, our story, um, which it did. And um, that was the first time I had ever read the book and I was hooked and I thought, my God, how come I haven't read this before? And then when the opportunity came up, um, you know, to do it in a group setting, I jumped on it because I thought, yeah, this, this needs to be a shared experience. And I, I feel honestly, like I want to do this on a yearly basis, like once a year as a check-in, we all need check-ins. Absolutely. I had no idea what it was, um, when I signed up for it and I'm currently in my third group with Jen. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. All on the artist's way. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And has so it, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just no. curious, has it felt different to you each time? 
each time has been so different. The first time with our group, I, I didn't do any of the tasks. I read the book, but I didn't do any of the tasks unless, uh, except for the ones that we did uh, in group. And because like, I feel like that the first time going through it was really just like, the, it was like such an eye-opening experience of like, oh, this is the process of creativity and being a blocked creative and creative recovery. It was just so just like, I was overcome by like, I'm not the only one. And so I like dived into creating and creating a lot of bad art to create good art. And, and so that was really where like my, my just creative juices kind of started flowing in that group. And then the second group, um, it was through the winter and I, I, my focus was the tasks. So a lot of it was that like diving into like the recovery of it and taking those tasks seriously and, and working through that. Interestingly, I didn't have as good of a connection with the group, with the community in, in the second one. Um, but I think that was for various reasons. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me because the way we all connected, and I mean, it, it was like kismet. I, I couldn't believe the connection that we all shared. It was really profound and, and almost eerie. It was almost as if our guardian angels were just like forcing us to be together and we were all supposed to meet one another. Absolutely. And like, I still like talk about how, how amazing our group are, is not was, but is, <laughs> and, and yeah. just like, yeah, like, cause like all of us connected in like a really soulful kind of way. It was amazing. And, um, you know, what's so funny is that I got the email about it by accident. I wasn't on the mailing list. And then I called up and I said, do you have a spot for me? I want to do this. And, um, yeah, it was meant to be, I was supposed to get that email. Yeah. Well, that's so funny because I saw an Instagram post about it from a mutual friend of, of me and Jen's and, I ignored it. Like I initially, I was curious. Like I was like, oh, like that sounds like something that could be beneficial to me, but I, I ignored it. And then I saw the same post a week later mm. and I was like, okay, maybe the universe is telling me to do this. So I, I reached out to Jen and then a third time I was, I tried to like not do it, but just the universe kept being like, nope, you, you're, you need to do this. You need to be in this group. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me where I just want to run away from something. And um, when you're picked, when it's your time to to join whatever or do whatever, you can't you can't run away. It's just it's your time and you're supposed to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so it's so interesting. I feel like that with the group that I'm in now with this third group. Like we're, we're all very connected in a different way, but it's, it's a really, um, there's a soul, there's a soulful connection with this group too. And it's different too. Cause I'm, I'm actually working as Jen's assistant for this group. So oh, wow. yeah. So it's, it's also like every experience has been so different, but so, so amazing. I love that. Oh, I'm happy you're having a good experience now, of course, because I've heard that you've done two more groups. I'm totally jealous and I have to do another one. Um, she's starting another one on April 18th. Oh God. You know, we just need four more people. <laughs> oh my God. And just around that time, I'm starting an intermediate comedy workshop. Oh my goodness. Um, so uh, I have to figure this out. Yeah. Do it. I'm I'm her assistant again for that group. 
So, oh, well, just to be with you again is really <laughs> nice. So, yeah, I'm going to meditate on it and I'll, I'll keep you posted. Please do. Yeah. And what, do you know when the group is? Well, obviously, you know when the group is meeting. What day of the week is it? Yeah, it's uh, Sundays, the same time as our group, 430. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh God, here I go again. I just know what it did for me. And I'm really convinced that because of that group, I was motivated to jump in to um, the masterclass that I took to do my solo show. Mm, yeah. I'm so excited to hear about that. I'm going to, I'm going to text Jen right now and tell her that you're on board. <laughs> Oh my God. So what you're locked you? in. It's your fault, Zenya. It's all your fault. <laughs> I just convinced Ruth to join AW again on April 18th. Oh my God. Well, I just love Jen so much. So it's not going to be hard to do because, you know, she's one of these fabulous women and that's, you know, strong and supportive and kind and, you know, my type of gal. Oh my gosh. I... I could talk about how amazing Jen is for yeah. eternity. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, we could spend our entire episode talking about the artist way. Yes. <laughs> um, that's, that's a whole other podcast. And it's like, yeah. I think that the book is basically a magic book. It's just magic because what comes out of it, if you have the right intention, if you're in the right space and you're willing to do the work, stuff happens and you can't help the ball rolling. It just takes on a life of its own. I recently had uh, a very intense experience of, of that quote where she's talking about like, sometimes you ask for apples and it gives you oranges. And for me, it's like, sometimes I'll ask for apples and it'll give me like a lamppost. <laughs> That's like very, you just got to go with it. <laughs> you know, that reminds me of an expression that I heard growing up. God doesn't always give you what you want but you get what you need. Mm. And I, I see that happening so often um, that, you know, I'll, I'll pray for things to happen or I'll try to manifest something. But I understand when I have distance, why I didn't get that wish at that stage of life because something else was supposed to happen in its place. So um, yeah. Yeah, it's, there is definitely a divine order to the way things work out. Absolutely. And it's 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 so important to trust that. And I'm saying that because I need to remind myself yeah. that it's of that because it's 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 hard. I call it spiritual exercise. Like every day you just have to stand in your truth and say, this is who I am. This is what I want. These are the steps I'm taking to make that happen. Because fear is also a great motivator, right? Love is a great motivator, but fear is just as equally a great motivator if you let it happen. And it's so easy um, to let fear take over, you know, when you're in that moment of weakness, but you have to push through it and just know that, um, know your worth and you can make whatever you want happen if you really want it that badly, I truly believe that I, I had a voice teacher in New York. I can't believe this is coming back to me because I actually talked about her in my solo show. Um, she said, you could get whatever you want. And I thought, what a grandiose statement. And I was just a teenager. And I said, 
you can get whatever you want. Do you really believe that? She says, absolutely. I said, but what if you don't get what you want? She said, then you didn't want it that badly. Oh, to this day, I chills all over to this day. I still remember that. You know how you hear these like pearls of wisdom along the way. And there's certain things that just stay with you to this day. I still remember that. Yeah. I feel like too, that that can also be like one of those hard truths to swallow. <laughs> it's painful to hear it. I think. Yeah. You know, Cause then we have to take ownership why we don't sometimes get things. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, oh, that's tough. That, yeah. Cause I'm thinking about which we're not going to get into now, but just like my own situation of like, yeah, it's, that's tough. Do I really want something or, or am I like, okay to stay in it because it's, you know, what I've always known. So it's more comfortable and yeah. Comfort is, uh, is the human condition. There's, it's also the human condition to be fearful of change because mm-hmm. it's fear of the unknown. Um, but when you uh, jump into the air, most times there's a safety net to catch you. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that too many times to count. You know, I've got a few years on you. And many years ago, I came to California with nothing. I mean, nothing. Uh, I, I didn't have a pot to piss in. I, I didn't have the pot. I mean, I just, you know, and, um, but I, I was manifesting something long before I even knew that word. Mm-hmm. I was manifesting that everything was going to work out, that it was going to be great, that I was going to have a fabulous experience. And it took a while, but it worked out. It yeah. all worked out. I didn't starve. Uh, were there lean times? Absolutely. I was living from hand to mouth. Um, I couldn't afford any extras. I ate cheaply. I didn't live in a very good neighborhood when I moved out here. Um but eventually things worked out it. And I, I get, I always go back to the divine because I really do believe that um, we have um, spirits watching over us. Yeah. I, I also believe that. Yeah. I didn't know that when I was younger, but at this stage of my life, I've had it confirmed to me mm-hmm. more than one occasion. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. So you answered one of my questions that you were not originally from LA. So you moved, right. when, when did you move to LA? I will give you the exact date, which I can't believe I remember. I moved on October 8th, 1991. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I had talk about comfortable. I had a very comfortable and secure life in New York. I grew up in Forest Hills, Queens. I had my friends, I had my job. I had, you know, um, my dad, who I was very close to. um, And it was the place that I knew, like the back of my hand. But I also knew that if I stayed there in this cozy, comfortable, safe situation for the rest of my life, I was going to rot. And I would never, ever know um, what I was capable of. So I decided to go with being uncomfortable and um, I quit my job and I had a goodbye dinner at a favorite Italian restaurant. Now I'm trying to remember if it was Italian or Chinese. I can't remember. I think (laughs) it was Italian Um, with, you know, close, close friends. 
And then I packed a bulging suitcase and I think like tons of boxes that I had shipped over. And I, I moved in with my sister for two weeks and then I got my own place. And I, my first job was working as a makeup artist at a place called Bullock's, which became Macy's. And, um, it's, I don't even think it's there anymore. It's, uh, it was on Lake Avenue in Pasadena and I was making just enough to survive. And that's what I was doing in New York. Also, I was a makeup artist when I was in New York. So, um, yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, I, I, I don't know where I got the courage, but I just knew that I wasn't supposed to spend the rest of my life in New York. Yeah, that's that's um, that knowing is really like it can be really, really subtle and also really, really loud. I had exhausted all the possibilities. It's it's kind of like going into a chocolate shop. I know this is a crazy analogy, but I'm a foodie. So that's what comes to my head. <laughs> you know, and you try all the really good truffles and there's nothing else to sample. That's how I felt. That's how I felt about New York. I love New York. And I usually go back every year to visit this year, of course not, but because of what's been going on. But um, I go back now um, as a tourist on the outside looking in, I visit friends, um, you know, and I go to the theater when it's open. God, I miss the theater so much. Um, and I eat uh, a ridiculous amount of carbs. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. You know, and bring my bottle of enzymes with me so I can digest all the food that I'm eating. Um, and then, you know, I visit my loved ones and then I come home. And I'm, I'm grateful to be on the West Coast because I just know that I belong on the West Coast. That's so, yeah, I, I've known that I belong on the West coast since middle school. Really? Mm-hmm. And, and where were you raised? Boston. Oh my. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yep. And then I had a four year stopover in Chicago. Oh, so now oh. I'm finally here. <laughs> you finally found the palm trees. They were waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, they really were. Yeah. And like, as hard as it is, and as like, just like, you know, like, like I'm in that, like where I'm, I'm just here and I'm figuring it out and, and where am I going to live and all of those things. Zenia, I lived it. I lived it. And, you know, I know you're a creative. I know that about you, obviously, because of the forum that we met in. Um, but there's such a thing as survival jobs, as we both know. And every creative I know has one mm. um, because the two um, are not necessarily the same. And that's what I had to come to terms with. Um, I know that's one of your questions for me later on, but, you know, I always say that I have two careers, one that I make money with and one that I really don't, but it gives me tremendous joy and fills my spirit. Yeah. Okay. So let's chat about comedy. Okay. What brought you to comedy? Like, when did you even start? Oh my God. Okay. I'll give you the short version and then you can quiz me. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Uh, I've always been in love with comedy my entire life. Um, And I discuss this in my show. When I was a small child, I was watching I Love Lucy and the Carol Burnett show and the Honeymooners and just all these great comics on TV, these brilliant comics. 
Um, and I thought, my God, this is amazing. You know, before I could verbalize it, I just thought, what an amazing skill to have. So I've been drawn to comedy my whole life. However, with that said, I never pursued it. And then um, I went through a life change. Um, it's going to be two years, end of June, which I can't even wrap my head around. Um, I split up with my ex-husband and it created a space for me to get back to my creative DNA and explore that part of myself that I had put in a coma pretty much. So um, I started uh, I started doing improv, I want to say about six years ago, and I was performing and then I started acting. And then I, around that same time, I started writing and I took a comedy class with this wonderful lady, Lisa Sunstead, who's known as the Madam of Comedy. Um, she has a company called Pretty Funny Women, and she's very well known for basically supporting female comedians. So uh, both Emma and I took her beginners class. And then after that, I had the courage to start doing um, comedy. So this is like within a, the past year. So I've been doing a lot of stand-up, but before that, about a year and a half ago, um, there was something that came across the desk of Stacey Raposa, the manager of Actors Workout Studio, about a monologue competition in LA. And the idea was that you could either memorize a monologue and perform it or write your own. So without thinking, it was almost as if my pen had a life of its own. I wrote down in less than 10 minutes, a monologue and I called it the princess and the penis. Oh my God. And it was about, um, you know, it was a fairy tale version of uh, a woman, you know, finding out that her husband was very unfaithful, how she had all, she had basically done everything. She had had this perfect life and then she ends up living happily ever after. So it was the fairy tale version of pretty much my story. And um, that morning I meditated and I hear this audible voice say to me, um, you're going to win tonight. Mm -hmm. And I won and I was mm -hmm. competing against professional actors. And that little, that little um, occurrence, that little um, thing which was not, I mean, I didn't win money. It wasn't like that. I won a, a free taping, but just that, that one evening gave me the confidence to pursue comedy. And then after that, I took the class with Lisa and I started writing jokes and they started falling from the sky pretty much. I mean, I, I'm a runner, although I'm on hiatus with running now, but I'm normally a runner and I'm a hiker. And when I'm moving, the jokes come to me when I'm driving in the car, the jokes come to me. And I spend a lot of time driving for my work. They don't come to me when I'm sitting, they come to me in movement. Mm. And so sometimes I'll, I'll literally have to stop in the middle of a run or a walk because I'll start laughing to myself and I'll write down the joke. And so now I have, I'm, I'm looking at my jokes. Now I literally have like a stack, a stack. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, a stack. Wow that um, I've collected. And, um, you know, my comedy is based on real life. I talk about 
you know, I don't know, the pandemic, um, our governor, our, you know, just whatever's going on in the world, you know, in my life, personally, professionally. And I just turn it into humor because there's so much to laugh about. There's so much going on in the world that it's like a field day. It's a gold mine, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think humor is one of the best coping skills. Yeah. It's very high vibration after love Mm -hmm. and it's very healing. And I think what a gift to be able to help heal others Um, and not just heal others, but help people forget, you know, all the challenges people go through day in and day out and just to make people feel a little bit better, lighten their spirits. You know, I I think it's therapeutic. It really is. I mean, we, all have challenges. We all have struggles. There's always something going on that we have no idea about with everybody. And Mm -hmm. it's to just be able to get out of that for, you know, even a minute is so important. Yeah. And it's, you know, you would think that the pandemic and not to minimize in any way what people have been going through. um, But between my divorce and the pandemic, you would think I would have had the most heinous year. It wasn't. It was very um, beneficial for me in some ways because I was able to delve really deep and get back on course. I was Mm. off course for a really long time. I wavered off the path I was supposed to be on and now I'm on course. And if it wasn't for the pandemic and if it wasn't for my divorce, this would have never happened. So again, not to minimize anybody's pain or suffering during a very challenging time, but for me on a, uh, on a creative and spiritual level, it's been a blessing for me in some ways. Yeah. I, I feel that way too. Like a lot of things I feel like helped me be like put on the path that I am on now that feels like home to me. And, and it, I don't think it would have happened without, you know, things going online and, and things like that. So it's, yeah, not to minimize how hard it has been, because it has been really, really hard. And it's, it's also like cool to be able to recognize the beauty in it. I think like with most, most things, you know, there's the yin and the yang of every experience. There's the, the joy and the darkness in every experience. So I had, um, you know, what, what's that Shakespearean exp- expression? It was the best of times and the worst of times. That's what this year has been for me. But out of the most painful thing that I ever went through in my life um, came something wonderful. I feel grateful. And I, I know that if I was still married and I know that if the pandemic hadn't happened, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. We yeah. Wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So can you walk us through the comedy scene in LA? What's what's the process like? Oh my God. Well, you have to be really persistent. Right now, you have to be willing to do a lot of Zoom stuff because, you know, the clubs are not open yet. Although I have been fortunate enough to be performing regularly at the Federal Bar in North Hollywood. As a matter of fact, I have a show tonight. And um, doors open at 7 p.m., little plug. Um, And I, if somebody can't make it tonight, I perform there every couple of weeks. 
it, yeah, so it's out, outside, socially distant. And there's other forms like that. I've gone to some open mics, which are different than comedy shows per se. And what I like about the open mics is that you get to know other people in the comedy community. Um, so that's important. And um, the more people you meet and the more you do it, uh, the more confident you get. And it's just about doing it, you know, working that muscle. Uh, the more you hold a microphone, the more you get on stage, the more relaxed you feel. And it's not to say that every time you go on stage, you're going to have a great time um, or uh, you're going to be tuned in because that's not the way it works. But sometimes you strike gold and you have an amazing night. What's what's the process of like, like starting from that that first joke and that first like writing out your script or whatever it is and then taking it to a stage and an audience you have to read your audience you know um emma happens to be in austin right now and i'm so proud of her because she's been doing open mics every single night and she booked like all this before she left she just did it you know online and i'm so proud of her um, but the audience, for example, in Austin or in New York or in the South is going to be very different than, you know, a, play, a place like Los Angeles. In L.A., they'll get my jokes. If I go to Alabama, I doubt it, you know, and I would probably be more like an exotic animal for it. <laughs> so, you know. You know, look at the, you know, look at the way I sound, the way I look. I mean, I would stick out like a sore thumb. So you have to customize your jokes and they may not fly in other areas. So you need to have a big enough repertoire that you think is universal. So, for example, one of the jokes I talk about, I talk about my immigrant parents, you know, and how they escaped the Holocaust. I don't know if they even believe that the Holocaust existed in certain mm. states because they don't teach in school. So, but I know it existed because half of my family, my ancestors were killed in the Holocaust. So I know the trauma that, you know, my parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents went through. I tell jokes about it because the jokes are very healing. Mm. That's not a joke I would normally tell in places like, I don't know, the Midwest, the South. Um, but I would tell, you know, like maybe divorce jokes or, um, you know, dating jokes because everybody can relate to that. Mm -hmm. And the rule is to, you know, um, start out really strong and end really strong, be very positive and to trust the process. What I do now is I have a certain, uh, I know that I'm going to discuss certain things. And then I give myself permission to riff on that. So in the beginning, I was, I don't want to say robotic, but I was so disciplined in memorizing my set that I didn't allow myself room to expand on it. Mm. And now if something else comes out of my mouth, I think, oh, where did that come from? But it does. It happens that way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I relate to that with this podcast. I think about like, because now all of the the earlier episodes are airing and and I I was so rigid in sticking to the script 
and and the questions in the script in those first couple episodes and now like I'm only like two months into interviews and I'm, I'm just so much more comfortable like and I love just seeing where the conversations go yeah good for you yeah that's um and and also it's going to have a different tone with each person that you bring on you know yeah okay can we talk about your solo show yes thank you oh my god it was the hardest and best thing I've ever done in my life Mm. now um I would not describe it as fun that's not an adjective I would use but I would describe it as incredibly creative and incredibly therapeutic and healing uh it was autobiographical and um I worked on it for close to seven months. Uh, I wrote, I wrote it all and I performed it on Sunday. And my um, plan is to bring it to the stage once theaters open. And I do have to give um, a shout out to Terry Silverman. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with her. I know she's friends with Jen, but um, I've been taking classes with her since the pandemic started, we haven't even met yet. Um, But I love this woman because she's not only a brilliant writer and facilitator, but I think that she's like, she's just an intuitive, like she knows exactly where your issues are and where your story lies. So Mm -hmm. I started, I started writing about what I thought was going to be, you know, my divorce and that journey. My story had nothing to do with that. It turns out my ex-husband was really a minor character in the story. It was about my creative process and allowing myself to become a creative again, because I was a seriously, not a little bit, a seriously blocked artist for many years. And I've always loved artists. I've always loved creatives. And I was one. But. I shoved her down so deep that it was so painful for me to even think about the possibility of doing um, acting classes or anything like that because um, I I didn't know that I was capable of it. And I was also afraid of, of finding out. So that's pretty much what the show is about. And it goes back into childhood where it all begins, the childhood. Oh, yeah. We spend our whole lives trying to fix a few years. Isn't that special? And the work never ends. It never ends. I'd love to say it's like, oh, you have it figured out and then goodbye. You're on to the next. No, your whole life. You're working on yourself. Um, But the good news is that For me, this piece was very cathartic and I really was able to unblock a lot of memories that I had shoved aside because it's the, it's human nature. If something hurts, you shove it under a carpet. You don't want to think about it. Um, So I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I did too many rewrites to count. And then I ended up with a story. Um, And I, did some singing. I spoke in some accents. Um, and I do stand up at the end. So it was quite wonderful, quite healing. Um, was it exhausting? 
Absolutely. And I would do it all over again. And now I think I, I, feel, I compare this to running a marathon because I've I've for 10 years, I, I ran the L.A. marathon every single year, as well as some other races. And, you know, you're doing it and you're training and it's so much work and you think, oh, my God, I must need my head examined. Why am I putting myself through this? And then you cross that finish line. You say, oh, it wasn't so bad. I think I'll again, <laughs> you know, yeah. That was fun. You know, even though when you're in it, you think, my God, you know, what haven't I worked out from my childhood that I'm putting myself through this? That's the best analogy I could use for writing a solo show. It's very hard work if you want to do it properly and honestly. And then you do it and you think, my God, that was the most rewarding experience I've ever had. And that was that was it for me. And now I want to do another one. Yeah. 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 It feels like a very exhausting, like I, I, like when I, I could, I don't think I could do solo performance because I don't think I have enough energy to like maintain that momentum. You will. It's just me. You will. I promise you, you will. You know, here's the thing. Everybody has a story in them. Everybody. I know you have a story in you. I had a story in me. It was waiting to be told. And if you don't tell your story, nobody ever finds out who you really are. And you take it to the grave. When you tell your story in a form such as a solo show, you in a way become, at the risk of sounding dramatic, immortalized because you told your story. And you know what my goal with this, Senya, going into it? If I could help at least one woman at least one woman know her worth, then I've done my job. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to help others come out of their shell and know that you can recreate yourself at any stage of your life. And I'm no spring chicken and I'm happier than I've ever been at any stage of my life. That's beautiful. Oh my God. Yeah. Because I'm leaving, I'm finally living an authentic life. You know, I'm no longer hiding from myself or what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, when you keep shoving yourself down, it's not fun. It hurts. And you can become angry and jealous and envious. And you don't know why. Because other people are doing what you want to be doing. It's a very courageous thing to do to step into your own light. And your and your truth and speak your truth. It's very courageous and vulnerable and scary and ultimately 100% worth it and rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I journaled after my show and um, I talked about in, in my journaling, I write all the time and I wrote down what I learned from the experience and what uh, insights I had. And what came to me, as I mentioned, was that it was extremely healing and therapeutic. Um, And that if you want to move on in your life and get to the next level, you have to go through that. You have to go through that darkness. You have to rip off the Band-Aid on those blocked memories and bring them to light. Every human being I know has trauma, either in the beginning of their life the middle of their life or later in their life. In my case, I've had trauma at various stages of life. 
And, you know, I've always thought, oh, okay, put on a happy face. I'm strong. You know, I can get through this. I don't need to discuss it. I'm going to dust myself off, just move on and push things away. And that's how I've done. Um, That's how I've done things for a good part of my life. You know, not, I, I never wanted to wallow, but it's not about wallowing. It's about saying it out loud so you can move on. How do you, how do you know when you have worked through something? You're at peace. Mm. It's not complicated. You're at peace. And I think a big part of it, just speaking personally is forgiveness. Um, you think it's for the other person. It's not, it's for yourself. Um, when you hold on to bitterness, um, you can't move on with your life and you can't reach or attain um, the level that you'd like to get to. I've had to do a lot of forgiving. I, I'm even wearing like my rose quartz right now, which yeah. based on compassion, I got this after my, um, after my split, I had to live in compassion and forgiveness. And I don't know how this stuff works, but I have to tell you, it does. It's amazing. Um, not to mention, you know, meditation and journaling. I mean, there's so many practices you can do to, to help heal yourself. I don't think it's a one size fits all, but for me, it's just um, uh, forgiving and then uh, talking about it. And then, um, and having witnesses to your story. That doesn't mean that you have to share with everybody. You have to trust who you say your story to. Um, But once you release it, you think, what was the big deal about? And especially at my age, I don't, really don't give a damn what people think. I just don't. Yeah. It's so freeing. You know, so many people spend their lives worrying about what other people think. And what for? You know, most people have to worry about their own stuff anyway. They're not even consumed with you. What is, I'm just curious, what does forgiveness look like for you? Understanding that we are all incredibly fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Well said. I could I could edit, but we're just, you know, just being in this human body makes us so flawed. We're all so flawed and we're all just trying to figure it out. And you know, sometimes like for example, in my case, if you have a parent or if you have a spouse that hurt you, they didn't know better. Or if they did know better, they didn't have the tools to do better. Some people are just not equipped. And I just, and it's, that's not, you know, giving people a full part. And like, especially if they do really heinous things, I'm not saying, oh, you know, like, like forgive and forget. But I think some people are just don't have the tools. And um some people are evil. So people who do really evil things, you know, yes, I, I, that's a different story, but I'm talking about um, if you didn't get what you needed from somebody, that person didn't have it to give you. They just mm-hmm. didn't have it. And so when I look at it from that vantage point, not as the wife or the daughter, I look at it as on the, something I just want to say, I I remove myself from the situation and I'm on the outside looking in. 
as just from one human to another. I see that some people just don't have the tools. And what can you do if they don't have the tools? I love where this went. (laughs) And the other thing I just want to add to that, I know how incredibly imperfect I am. And I'd like to know that if I've hurt somebody or if I've hurt one of my children, that they would uh, have the grace to forgive me. Mm. Because, you know, being a parent, it's, it's the toughest thing I've ever done. You know, you get manuals and rule books and, you know, all kinds of lessons for everything else you do in life, but there's no um, book that comes with being a good parent. And I've screwed up at times and other times I've done a really good job, but I try to apologize to my kids when I've made mistakes, which is something I didn't get from my parents because it was a whole other culture and generation. How do you like, do you think though, that there's, there's a line, you know, cause I feel like with my parents, they're both narcissists. So they don't, they don't acknowledge that they have any, have done anything wrong that they don't, they don't see it that, you know, so it's for me, I have a hard time with forgiveness. Yeah. Like specifically with them, because I'm like there, I know I'm never going to get an apology. That's, I, you know, that's okay. I, I'm, I'm good with that, but they won't even acknowledge they'll blame me, you know? Yeah. I had one parent who was a narcissist. And so I know where you're coming from. It was all about her pain and what the world had done to her, you know, and everybody else was to blame. And so I get it. And narcissism is incurable. So you are not going to get what you need and you will never get an apology. I can tell you that from personal experience, but what you can do is uh, write a letter if you're so inclined and you don't have to even send it, but you can write down every single thing that has hurt you. And just, I'm telling you, just getting it out on paper, um, saying it out loud, maybe even reading it to yourself. And then you could do a ritual where you say, I forgive you and then just burn it. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't hold on to the pain personally by keeping the letter. I would either send it or not send it, or maybe read it to somebody that you trust and feel safe with so that you can get it off your chest and have a witness to it. Or if it's too personal, you can keep it to yourself and then just have a ceremony and just burn it, which is a way of just like burning the memories, burning the past, burning the hurt. Um, There's so many things you can do. Um, But with narcissism, it's incurable. Yeah. I feel like, like my, like why I'm just so like, I, I just need to cut them out of my life is because I feel like if I forgive, then that's them thinking that I'm, I said, everything is okay. No, that's not right. the reason. You do the, the forgiving is so you can move on and understand that you were the child, that you were not to blame, that you did nothing wrong, and that um, you want to have a healthy and happy life, regardless of what kind of circumstances you came from. Our parents are just the people that bring us into the world, you know? They're just the conduits that bring us into the world. And I don't believe in this notion 
that you're supposed to stay with relatives for the rest of your life if they've hurt you terribly. Now, some people might disagree with me and say, well, forgiveness means that you should sit with them at every Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, you don't have to do that. You have a choice. Oh, my goodness. Family. (laughs) It's a it's a heavy topic. Again, another podcast. Oh, my gosh. I know. Yeah. All the things. But it's also like I feel like it's one of those things that doesn't like to like people don't like to talk about. It's almost like a taboo subject. It's very much taboo. Yeah. Because you're supposed to love everybody in your family, no matter how much they shit on you. Right. That's the message we get, you know, that it's like, you know, honor thy parents, you know, it's in the 10 commandments. Well, you can honor them, but you can also love them or not from a distance. Mm -hmm. Don't have to, you don't have to take the toxicity, especially when you reach 18 years old, you know, I mean, I had one parent that I was very close to and I had one parent I wasn't. And um, I had to separate myself to the best of my ability. And when that parent passed, quite frankly, I was relieved. Now, that's a nice thing to say out loud, is it? But it's the truth. And I'd rather speak the truth. 100%. I, I hear you. How do you balance working full time and pursuing your art? I don't. <laughs> There's no balance. I'm a type A Scorpio Jew from New York. There's no balance whatsoever. <laughs> I'm, I think I might be a vampire. I don't sleep very much. And as soon as I finish one job, which is, you know, I'm in sales in the natural products industry. I've been doing this for close to 30 years. I go straight into you know, my passions, which is the writing and the acting and the comedy. And, um, and sometimes I'm doing both at the same time. Like if I'm driving in the car, I'll be talking to myself while I'm driving, while I'm in traffic, rehearsing my, my set, um, or coming up with new jokes while I'm driving. So, um, I'd love to lie to you and say that there is a balance, but there really isn't. Yeah. Um, I was telling my youngest Elizabeth, uh, who was also in Jen's class, different one though. Um, I, I said to her after Sunday, my show was over and I was thinking, now what? I, I, Cause I was so consumed for seven months, constantly writing and exploring um, the show that I felt out of sorts when it was over because mm-hmm. I'm so used to being consumed with something. And she said, mom, you got to enjoy this, this downtime now, because before you know it, I know you, you're going to be involved in another project. And, um, she's right. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's the art, you know, drives us crazy and yet we can't do anything else. We keep coming back to it. Yeah. I think we do love it. I think that people do. And I think Julia Cameron even addresses this in her book that, you know, artists, they create because they have to. Yeah. They have to, they, they don't know how not to create. And the reason I was so frustrated for so many years is because I didn't create, I completely blocked myself and I spent all of that creative energy in the kitchen, making gourmet meals. And, you know, of course, everybody was so happy because they were well-fed, 
but I wasn't well-fed, you know, I was starving. I was a starving artist. Mm -hmm. And now I feel so at peace and so happy within myself. Not because look, here's the thing. I don't know if I'll ever reach any glorious heights with what I do, but that's not the point for me. The point is doing the work. The point is the journey. It's not the destination. It's never been about the destination for me. It's just doing the work and being around other creatives and having my spirit filled by being around other artists and other people who are of like mind. I've met the most extraordinary people in the past year or so um, since I've been on this new path. I'm meeting the people I'm supposed to be meeting and it just feels like coming home. Yeah, that's a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so just for the sake of time, let's jump to final five. I, I say this is speed round. It's never speed round. So we just go with it. (laughs) Um, question one, what's something you learned through the creation of your solo show? That anything is possible, that all you have to do is take the first step and just do it. Amazing. What is the best thing about performing standup? Oh my God, that you get a, you get away with saying anything that's on your mind and nobody can grab the microphone from you and say, get off the stage. Cause it's your seven minutes. It's your time up there. So you can say the wildest and most inappropriate things, which I do. <laughs> and nobody can say to you, Oh, you're being rude or you're being politically incorrect or, or that was insulting. Well, I'm sorry. Then you get the microphone and you go stand up on a stage and tell a very polite, you know, Mary had a little lamb fairy tale or whatever you want to say. That's not who I am as a comic. What advice do you have for someone wanting to pursue comedy, but is afraid of bombing a show? You will bomb a show. It's inevitable. There's no such thing as instant success. And the more you do it, the better you will become. It's like, you know, again, I'm going to go back to this analogy. It's like training for a marathon. You can't just show up on race day and run your 26.2 miles. You've got to do a lot of open mics, get really uncomfortable, have a few people just stare at you like they don't know what you're saying or not understanding you. And then one night when you least expect it, you will strike gold and it'll make all the other horrible nights worth it. What is your go-to pre-show ritual? Oh gosh. (laughs) It's usually involves me pacing around the parking lot, uh, talking to myself while other comics are around me talking to themselves, (laughs) but I do, I'm just rehearsing by myself in a parking lot. And last question, what advice do you have for writing and performing a solo show? Do it in a group. Um, I had the council and the camaraderie of, um, Terry Silverman, who I mentioned, and also other um, writers and performers in the group. And we all gave each other uh, feedback. Um, we met for over three hours every single Sunday via Zoom. Um, it's it's just better when you do it in a group setting. Now, you can do it by yourself, but you're not going to get the feedback. And so it's really helpful when you have 
Um, you know, it's like doing the artist way group. I mean, I could read the book by myself, but it's so much more fun to connect with other people who are like-minded. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for chatting with us and being here. You're one of my favorite people. Oh, Zenia, you're such a doll. Thank you for having me. I'm really, really flattered that you thought of me um, for your podcast, truly, because, you know, I, I know that I think you spoke with Emma, right? Mm-hmm. Back. Yeah. But, um, because I'm in a different age bracket, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I just I'm very touched. Let me put it that way. Yeah. I, I loved having Emma on and getting to, to know her and connect with her a little bit more. Her episode is out. It is live episode oh, number yeah. two. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. So and for for listeners, um, Ruth is Emma's mom. <laughs> so that's why we keep talking about Emma. I love my girl. I'm so proud of her. And I should give a shout out to Emma that she was the one that um, said to me years ago on an Oscar night when we were watching the Oscars. You know, Mom, it's not too late for you. Oh, because of that comment, and because she's relentless. Um, she pushed me to take improv classes and it was like the ball rolling and one thing led to another, but Emma forced me, she pushed me. So I'm very grateful to her. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed your time today. Please take a minute to press that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play. And if you liked today's episode, please rate and leave a review. It would mean so much to me and it helps more listeners like you find this podcast. You can connect with our guests and myself on social media. All of our information and more is listed in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Senya. See you next time.